Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. My name is Worth. If you are new, welcome and thank you for joining us. If not, welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about what the Apostle Paul says is the true mark of those who follow God. But before we get to that, here are just a few announcements from our community. For anybody else out in the West Seattle area who is looking for a church tribe to call home, we're a church that meets together in large gatherings and in house churches called Kimfolk Groups that meet throughout West Seattle. You can check out our upcoming schedule on the front page of our website. Kimfolk Groups meet each Sunday to watch the weekly message, fellowship, pray, and take communion together. Click through to our Kimfolk Groups page to get in touch with the host of a group and to get more details. We are gathering in homes on October 3rd, 10th, and 17th. We'll be back at our church campus at 4400 42nd Avenue Southwest for our whole church worship gathering on October 24th. Next up, we're launching our middle school, youth group, and family nights on Wednesday, October 6th. This program will take place every other week this fall and into December on Wednesday nights from 6 p.m. until 7.15. Show up at 6 p.m., that's all you have to do, with your whole family, grab dinner here, no fuss, no muss, everything is free. Middle school youth will break off around 6.20 p.m. and head over to their own space in the social hall for fun activities and a time of discipleship. Uh, for the rest of you, adults, you can hang out as long as you, as you like for a time of fellowship. And in the future, we're going to have kind of these short how-to how courses on building a culture of following Jesus at home with your family. So you can let us know in advance that you're uh, planning on stopping by by RSVPing on our website or through our app, and we hope to see you there. And if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe as well as hit the like icon below. This will really help out the channel. Okay, today we're going to start by reading the text from Galatians chapter 3. And we're not going to put the words up on the screen. Uh, instead, I encourage you to listen. The scriptures were meant to be heard out loud when they were read to their original audience. So we're going to try that out today, starting in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, 
Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Well, there's a lot to unpack here, so let's get started. We talked in week one about the audience of this letter is, is a group of theosaves, God-fearing Gentiles. They're being basically coerced and manipulated or tempted to convert to Judaism so that they can feel like they belong, like they have a family. And they're trying to be a part of this tribe of Jesus followers, which have come out of the Jewish faith. But in that region of Galatia where they live, they are not as welcome into the movement. And in today's passage, I'm not sure if you caught the tone, but it very much seems like Paul, he's, he's basically ticked off. He's mad. Even going so far as to say that he is shocked. He's astonished. And if anyone turns to another gospel, they're going to be cursed. We already tackled in the last few weeks how difficult this job was, how tirelessly Paul worked to make sure the gospel he preached was legit, that it was approved. He says that the gospel Jesus preached and lived out is that everyone can come to his table. So Paul says, if you throw that away, or if you think you can somehow be able to add something to it, then you destroy the gospel, the true gospel, you ruin it. So he says, if you convert, then you're throwing it all away. And he tells these Galatians how he then confronted Peter. He gets right up in Peter's business and he says, don't be a hypocrite. And he tells Peter, you already know that nobody is justified by the miskat mahase hatara, the works of the law, the part of the law that made you Jewish. No one's justified by that. And Peter, he's like, look, I told you, you told me that we were, that we're all good here with the gospel that we're preaching. And, you, and now you're eating with the Gentiles. But when your bros show up from Jerusalem, you act like you're too good for the Gentiles and, and you go hide and you, you don't approve of them. You're a hypocrite. And Paul tells them what he told Peter and that the leaders of the Jesus movement know that they are only made right in front of God through faith in his son Jesus. That's what justification means. Justification is not you're made justified or right or exonerated by following the laws that only make you Jewish. The only way you're exonerated or made right is by following Jesus through faith in him. And today he fires it right back up, addressing the Galatians, and he says, you're foolish. And that idiom that he's using, you foolish Galatians, it's really insulting. It's no exaggeration. He literally is saying, you stupid rednecks. He is ticked off. And then he asks them to remember where they came from. He's like, look, you need to remember your story. How did you come to faith? Did you come to faith through the Spirit? Yes. Or through works of the law? No. He's sarcastically like, was it because you were Jewish that you were invited into the family and have a seat at the table now? Or was it because of what you believe about the promises of God that are fulfilled in and through the person of Jesus? So he's reminding them that they have received the Spirit through no effort of their own. It is surely through God's grace. Only by believing what they heard about Jesus, putting their trust in that. So how in the world can they think that they will keep the Spirit by striving to do things under their own effort? That's not the way it works. And in fact, that's exactly the opposite of why Jesus came. It says in verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? In other words, here's the translation. 
Does God live in you and work through you because you're towing the line on a bunch of Jewish rules and ordinances that you probably don't even fully understand, that are just rituals that you have that basically have no meaning from you. You just think you need to do them to be made right. Does God live in you and work through you because of that and save you because of keeping in line with Jewishness? Or does he live in you and work in your life because you trust him and have faith in his son Jesus? Then he uses a, a, this argument about Abraham as kind of his primary object lesson. And this story about Abraham comes from Genesis 15. And it's important to understand that context. Did Abraham, who came before there was a Jewish nation or, or any Jewish people, who, who is considered the father of Judaism, did Abraham follow all the rules to have a relationship with God? No. Abraham is justified. He's made right with God in Genesis 15. But he doesn't even get circumcised until Genesis 17. In other words, before God gave any instructions or commands to Abraham, God justified him. Abraham can't be justified by any part of the law because the law didn't even exist yet. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Paul's argument. And so Paul, in this next bit, in verses 7 through 9, he gives this massive kind of earth-shattering proclamation he says, know then that it is those of faith who are benai Abraham, who are the sons of Abraham. And this goes back to the three groups we mentioned on week one of the series. Group one was the Jews. Group two was the children of Abraham, the benai Abraham. These were the converts, the ones who had taken on circumcision. And then there was group three, the Theosabes, the God-fearing Gentiles. So what he's doing here is he is defining what actually marks a true convert to following the God of Israel. He says, it's not the works of the law. It's not circumcision. It's not ritualistic commands. The true mark of one who follows God is faith. You don't have to pay your dues or buy your ticket into the family through circumcision or any rule like that. You are a child of God. You get to be in group two by faith. Abraham's story proves this is what he says. And he's the father of God's people in the story of, of the Jews. Faith is the defining mark of membership in the family of God. This is huge. This would still be huge today. Paul's like, look, if you have anything else to say, come at me. There's nothing you can say against this. And he takes it further in the next few verses by saying that Abraham, Abraham even understood the truth of the gospel, even way back then, before Jesus. Way back when Abraham was alive, he understood the gospel. And that's what is meant when Paul says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And I know some of you, if you grew up in church, you're like, wait, I, I, you know, I thought through the gospel, I thought the gospel was like this New Testament thing. Well, not according to what Paul says here. And in fact, if you read your New Testament in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that all of the figures in the Old Testament had the gospel. So the gospel is not some boxed-in, walled-in truth that only is available in the New Testament. The gospel is a truth in which the crucifixion of Jesus becomes the climax of the, of the entire gospel story that's present throughout the whole Bible, including the Old Testament. So Jesus is the, the pinnacle apex of, that, of the understanding of that. Paul says that the truth of the gospel was something that Abraham had tapped into way back then. He was aware of it and he understood it. Now, the next part in Paul's argument is really interesting. So let's read it. It says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 12, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who, hang, who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, what is sometimes done with this text today is not what was intended with it. People use this text to basically throw out the whole, like the Ten Commandments, all the Old Testament, basically everything. Like, if we do this Old Testament stuff, then we're cursed. But what Paul really said is, anybody who relies on the Miskat Mahaseh HaTorah, the works of the law, anybody who relies on that in order to find their justification, in order to find their own self-worth, their own self-value, anybody who relies on those kind of works is under a curse. He's basically asking, who, you can't, who are you trying to prove this to? Who are you trying to prove who you are to? You, to God, to your friends, to your siblings, to your parents? Like, if you're under any system of producing or earning or proving that you're worthy of inclusion, Paul says that's a curse. It's like you're stuck in junior high popularity contests for forever. That kind of thinking follows everyone around everywhere today. It's basically the basis for all of what social media follows and likes are built upon. It's a curse. Paul was way ahead of his time here. But what's even more interesting here is that Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 27, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because if you're a follower of Jesus, you are saying you have faith that he's the answer to everything. He's the answer to everything. And he says, Paul says that Jesus is the solution to a covenant with God, by, by creating a covenant with God. And there's new promises that are available to us because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. But here's the deal. How, how can you fully understand this new covenant that's in and through Jesus unless you understand the old covenants? You cannot. And so here's Paul quoting Deuteronomy from the old covenant and, and explaining what's happening in and through Jesus by explaining that. In Deuteronomy 27, what you find is Moses going back over the law with the, with the Israelites. He's going back over what happened at Mount Sinai in Exodus. And what went on there at Mount Sinai, there's this covenant language where, where God is saying to his people, will you marry me? And three times they say, we will do everything you command us. And God's response finally is that, okay, I'm looking for a partner, a spouse, a bride who will help me show the world what I'm like. So here's the law, and this law will make you a curious and peculiar people, and it will make you stand out, and people will be curious. Are you down with that? And they voluntarily say yes. And so fast forward to Deuteronomy 27, and they're basically renewing that covenant vow. And Moses puts half the people on Mount Gerizim, and he puts the other half on Mount Elal, and, it, and there's this valley between them, and the people of God are shouting back and forth to one another, to renew their vows. And one group says, the Torah says this. And the other group shouts back, we will do it. And at the end, Moses gives these curses on Mount Ebal. And the crux of what he says is this, since you are renewing the covenant voluntarily, if anybody doesn't own up to it and live it out, then you're cursed. This is the verse that Paul quotes. Paul says, if you're relying on that law to make you simpatico with God, then you live under that curse. That's the context here. Then Paul begins to illustrate this further. He takes it, he fleshes it out a little bit. He says in verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under curse, for it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now if it is, 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And that's, uh, that part's in quotes in your text because Paul's quoting from Habakkuk right there. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith, rather. And then he quotes something from Leviticus. He says, the one who does them shall live, live by them. Verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul is saying here that faith, faith and the law are two completely different things. They are not the same. But the problem is that down throughout the centuries, Shammai Judaism connected the two and intertwined them. And so faith and law became synonymous to them. And Paul says, no, they aren't the same. Because Abraham had faith and he put his trust in God before there was any law. God gives Abraham this promise to bless the nations. And that's where the Jewish story begins. And Paul reminds them of that and says that the promise does not begin with the law. 430 years after God blesses Abraham, that's when God gives the law. So Paul makes it really clear. The story that God is up to in this world is not about the law. The story has always been about God's promises, and it always will be. The law is simply a tool to help tell that story. And Paul says, that if you're living with this feeling of guilt over your head, you're being overwhelmed and pressured, that you can't live up to all these rules, Paul says, Christ has redeemed you. He has saved you from that. He says that Christ took on that curse, and then that curse died, that curse of guilt and shame, and not living up to all the rules. It was crucified. It no longer exists. We have been redeemed from that. Paul says, look, Jesus has shown everyone, both Gentile and Jew, that the law does not justify us. He rescued us from those beliefs and that kind of thinking. Jesus showed us what the promise of God was. And the promise of God was and is this. God loves us, full stop. God loves you and he is for you. This whole argument for Paul comes out of Genesis 15 where Paul says that Abraham believes God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And in that chapter of Genesis, which we've talked about before, we've talked about it in several different series, Abraham makes this blood covenant with God, and he knows that he can't hold up his end of the covenant. And God knows it too. So God shows up in a vision to Abraham, and God himself walks through the blood path of the covenant for both himself and Abraham, which is God essentially saying, look, I know you can't hold, uphold your part of the agreement. I know you're going to stumble. I know you're going to fall and mess up. And when you do, I will take care of it with my own blood. Paul is saying, seriously, don't you think Abraham knew the good news because of that? He had the gospel way back then. He understood it fully. Paul is saying then that what Jesus did on the cross is a renewing of that same covenant that has always been there all the way back since Genesis 15, which is God saying, I love you and I will always pay the price for you, always. And then verses 15 through 18, Paul Paul says, let me give you an example from your own understanding, a human example. And the summary of this is Paul asking, you know, which covenant came first, the promise or the law? And of course, the answer is the promise. And the law came later. And whatever the law does, whatever it does, it doesn't cancel out the promise. Everything in the story of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament is built upon this promise from God. And that promise is he loves you. And that love culminates in and through Jesus. So let's wrap this up. 
Trusting and having faith in the story is what marks you as a child of God. Nothing else, no rule following. You are a member of God's family because you make the choice to trust his promises. When you put your faith in God's promise and God says, welcome home. The promise that he gives us is, I love you. I'm not mad at you. I don't want to punish you. I'm with you and I'm for you and I love you. Do you trust me? That is the gospel. That is the gospel we see when God shows up in human form and he lays his life down for us on a cross. That is the gospel of grace. He will do anything to show you he loves you and that you are now free. No matter your background, your identity, where you think you are in your spiritual maturity, your knowledge, your past, your present, faith is what justifies you. It does not matter who you are, where you came from, or what you've done, your shortcomings or your failures or your insecurities. If you are willing to trust the promise of God, you're welcomed home. God says, I love you no matter what. And nothing can change that. Not height or debt, nor angels or demons, not principalities or powers. Nothing in this life or any other could ever separate you from the love of God. Do you believe this? Because that is what makes you a member of God's family. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that as we prepare to remember you through communion, that we'd be reminded of how much you love us. And renewing our vows and our belief in that promise is what makes us a child in your family. God, there are far too many weeks where, where like once a week is not enough for us because hours from now we're going to be convincing ourselves of hundreds of reasons why the promise isn't good enough. I pray that you save us from that kind of thinking. For all of us who believe all sorts of voices and statements and lies, I pray that you invite us and remind us every day that we are loved. Invite us to put our trust in that because that has always been the core of your promise. Father, may we have a faith that marks us as yours and a faith that says to the world that they're invited to the table too. Until next time, I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church Online. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.